Are you sitting there right now using a PC with an overpriced operating system while you eat unhealthy ramen? Well, I apparently have all of the solutions to your life. Go to Vite Ramen right now and get their healthy protein-filled ramen for 10% off with offer code BROKENSILICON. And then go to cdkeyoffer.com to get 25% off all Windows keys and use DieShrink to get 3% off everything else on the website. And we'll talk about these sponsors more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host, Dan. Dan, how are you doing? I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty good, I guess. How are you doing? I'm fine. I mean, we just started getting some snow a couple hours ago here in Nashville. This is the middle of what is of what I would consider the very short Nashville winter. Of course, my girlfriend's from Nashville, and she says, no, it's, you know, very cold between, like, you know, I don't know. Honestly, she would say probably from November to April. But, you know, I I, I brought up an example of why I sometimes will laugh when she says something's cold that I don't consider being cold because I'm from Minnesota. And I'm not one of those jerks who's like, I wear shorts when it's 20 degrees outside. We all freeze to death at the same temperature. But arguably, when we started dating, she would often be like, oh, it's chilly out. And it'd be like 50 degrees. Of course, she came to Minnesota with me for the holidays to meet our family this past season. And the local news was on and the newscaster was like, and of course, uh, down here in Minnesota, it's going to be getting close to like, oh, it'll actually, you know, usually it'd be 20 degrees, but it is going to get close to 25 degrees finally during this unseasonably warm winter. So once we hit 25, I'll start to finally feel a bit chilly. I <laughs> at her and went, that's chilly. Yep. And degrees is not chilly. That's springtime in Illinois, not let alone Minnesota. <laughs> and right now it is very cold here. Uh, my dog unfortunately seems to have gotten a it's not a huge thing but she was outside for a minute too long so now one of her paws is a little hurt so that's fun jeez yeah Yeah. your dog wendy has never been the best in the cold she's generally pretty good although out in massachusetts it doesn't really get as cold here it just gets a lot of snow so she she likes frolicking in the snow a lot but you have to be Mm -hmm. careful when it's this cold yeah, but you remember that one time we went hunting years ago and there was that lab with us pheasant hunting. And it was like, when I, I don't have a picture to show on screen, but when I, we were done hunting, I, I literally had icicles on my yeah. eyebrows, but I just warm enough. So I was fine. I mean, I had icicles on my face, but I didn't have any problems. That lab ran around with no coat on, just licking its paws to keep them from freezing for like an hour. This is not windy is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, that, that, if I'm remembering correctly, are you talking about that? There was this one hunting dog that we had once that was tra- that was like one of the best hunt- trained dogs I think I'd ever seen. Like, oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Also, I believe it was a it was a weird breed. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't a lab. It was, <laughs> it was, a, was its color was black though, right? No, it was uh, it was like yellow. I think yellow and white, something like that. 
I'm thinking of an entirely different looking dog in my memory, but we at least remember the details, though. Go on. No, I, I think it was some offshoot of a Springer. I, it wasn't a Springer. It was some weird breed I had never heard of, but it was mm. a, a super, super well-behaved dog. I don't know how you train a dog that well. <laughs> but that is not Wendy. That is not Wendy. No. No. Uh, but, um, you know, and I just... It's just funny because I was just, though, of course, my dog, Jesse, she doesn't get cold ever. It's impossible for her to get cold comparatively. <laughs> but um, I've tried to explain, though, to my girlfriend that, like, no, compared to other Midwestern and Northern states, it's we're talking real winter. It's just January, if we're honest. And like the last week of December through yeah. January. And then the snow goes away and it's might as well be springtime after that. Yes, I know. It will hit 30 degrees one a few days in February. But generally speaking, that's what you would expect in Minnesota all the way until like April or something. Like there will be one day that goes below freezing. So you still can't plant stuff half the time. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Midwest, it usually starts getting a little bit like it starts warming up in like the end of February and gets warmer. But you can't plant month, anything. But. It's still going to drop to 30. Oh, yeah, that's true. You, she considers winter, Dan, if there's one day in the month that goes to 30 in the middle of the night. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, we're not we're not even in the same conversation here. Um, but, you know, and then she asked, have they gotten snow there? Dan, have you gotten snow? Yeah, although it has only been one snowfall this year. Or okay. one real snowfall this year. But she's like, have they told you if they've gotten snow yet? And I'm like, they usually don't. Minnesota (laughs) it's not it's not usually that they tell me although I guess it would be news because of how unseasonably warm it was um I mean when we were there during the Christmas break I mean didn't really feel like winter there that I'm used to to be honest so it would be news this year but usually it's not no yeah it it was a oddly warm winter where I think some days in Nashville it was actually warmer than I mean colder than there it was there were a couple (laughs) days but because it was like 35 instead of 40 or something, you know? Um, All right. Well, this is supposedly a gaming hardware podcast, and we like to, when we have them, start with our corrections, which, of course, you can submit if you support us on Patreon and the Reader Mail uh, channels on the Discord. Um, We have quite a few, though. Well, I shouldn't say quite a few. I should say literally a few uh, this episode. Compressor Earthblocks writes in and he says, Slight correction and broken Silicon 239. When you were talking about anti-aliasing on Battlefield 3 for the PlayStation 3, it was actually MLAA morphological anti-aliasing that was used in the PS3. Oh, yeah, I think I said MSAA. And this is the AA that saw a gigantic uptick in use during 2009 and later due to being able to run at nearly no cost on the PlayStation 3's SPEs while giving image quality comparable to four to eight times MSAA on the edge it hit. MSAA was far too harsh for the RSX and the PS3 to use. Of course, that should have been common sense in my head there. And most games due to split memory pools and the lack of EDRAM, which I don't remember. I think that conversation came up during our Insomniac hack discussion, um, which I thought turned out really well but we like got into like oh no that, that would have come up during the brian heemskirk episode yeah. where like me and brian were talking about how fun it was to argue about gaming hardware back then with the consoles because of how bizarrely different they are um like like and i got into that going that well the ps3 version had anti-aliasing the 360 version didn't still to fit within the ram buffer on that console they ran at 704p and had two 
<laughs> indistinguishable to the human eye, basically black bars to fit within it. It was very weird times. But yes, that is a valid correction. I definitely said the wrong thing there. Um, Carmen Cry writes in, and he says, on the discussion of the future of IFS, which is Intel Foundry Services, should Intel overall fall fail uh, from this? Dis- this was a discussion in Die Shrink 115. If we are talking about selling a couple of fabs at a time because Intel needs the money in the future, then yes, the likeliest scenario is putting it on the market and smaller players biting, like On, Tower, or TI. But that won't raise that much cash, if we're being honest. And these older fabs are pure Munty printers at the CapEx is all amortized already. That's why Intel has that i16 node. That's a combination of their 22 and 14 nanometer. That's a node every fab of theirs should be able to make with very small initial expenditure. And so what he's basically saying is, yes, there would be people that would want some of Intel's nodes. And yes, if IFS was to start selling off parts of their fabs, that would make sense. Those would be ones you could sell, but they're also probably the ones that will be printing the most money for them usually. <laughs> so they're not likely to do that. And he goes on, Tesla, Apple, they're not buying the whole Goliath. And buying one or two fabs is meaningless without pushing R&D to stay on the leading edge, which is something we talked about. And to stay in that, you need scale. The point about auto wanting older nodes is valid, though. But they tend to partner with active legacy foundries. Don't forget there are billions of R&D even on legacy nodes and developing and specialized capabilities with their IP. So in my opinion, Carbon Cries, one wild card is there, though, Elon Musk. But I doubt he has the money. And if he managed to scrounge up enough liquidity, then we're headed towards an IPO involving the U.S. government for sure, because I doubt the U.S. government is going to let IFS suffer the same fate as Twitter <laughs> to Elon Musk. <laughs> well, I, I, it's an interesting I argument, actually, if they would that. let him. <laughs> I don't know what he means by that, Tom. Right. <laughs> when, great. You know, yeah, I don't. It's... You know, if Intel had to sell off some fabs, that's a good point about the older nodes being the most profitable ones. There has to be an insane downturn, you might argue, for that to make any sense that they're not being filled. Um, Like, that would mean that, like, TSMC's is so unfilled that somehow Intel can't fill theirs. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I guess... I guess the most likely scenario would just be, like, some sort of propping up of their fabs with a push from the government to say hey make amd stuff or something then i suppose um too much Freddy writes in also in dietrich 115 you addressed one of my questions regarding amd versus intel with laptop oems my point was more that amd is letting oems get away with putting their chips in garbage to your products with a flagship particularly non-gaming laptops get intel chips and then to top it off the firmware and such is often really half-assed on those amd devices this is despite Particularly in the thin and light market, AMD completely curb stomping Intel's offerings. I can understand laptop vendors not bothering to put much effort into AMD products back then uh, when Renoir was the latest and greatest. But at this point, I would have expected AMD to be able to get the OEMs in line and not let them make the AMD laptop market more of a minefield than the Intel one uh, already has been. Oh, I see. So I think, you know, because I think we disagreed with something QH Freddy said about like software or something. And he's saying half, no, he's talking like OEMs half-ass the AMD software, not really the AMD side of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I It's a valid thing to like clarify there, QH Freddy. But um, I, yeah, you know, all I can say is that this is something that I hear AMD keeps working on. I hear they could always do better. But for Hawkpoint to really be a big success this year, I agree. I think AMD just needs to go in there and say, 
ah, it's just like what I was about to say, it needs to go in there and say, don't use our CPUs if you're not going to support them well. But it, I don't know what you think, Dan. It really is still just a chicken and egg situation for AMD. I mean, like if you mandate that, they're still almost happy to be getting any sales and you almost can't mandate that until you're so in demand that you know you have the power. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, I think this could be the turning point finally where even though Intel's been falling behind technologically from AMD for a while now, I really don't think it's showed up that much in laptops yet. And it's kind of showing up in laptops now, although it would be far, far better if AMD could come out with something with Strix in like the next three months instead of when it's most likely going to come out in like the second half of this year. Um, because, well, Hawk Point is probably mm. going to end up edging out Meteor Lake. It's still not that knockout blow where they have to demand AMD instead of Intel. Although, I'd be surprised. Well, I shouldn't say I should be surprised. We know that <laughs> behind the scenes, OEMs are pissed at Intel. So, I, I mean, I think that Hawk Point still is their cha- possibly their chance to actually get in, in, in demand and into more good products than they have been in the past. Yeah, to speak to what QH Freddy was saying, I would argue that basically what AMD, AMD is just one more gen, and it's a gen that's going to be short-lived because Strix is going to come out this year too. It's a short-lived gen where AMD just kind of has to play ball as much as possible and like cater to the fact that OEMs seem to be mad at Intel for having Meteor Lake come out mm-hmm. late, expensive, and not at the performance they were promised. And then... What AMD's probably thinking is if we get them to play ball with Hawkpoint, which they seem to be, by the way, if you look at all their partners being announced, this is not a Phoenix situation. OEMs are all genuinely seemingly excited about Hawkpoint, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Well, then, I mean, before this year's over anyways, then you can bring out Strix and be like, yeah, we're over double the performance now. And if you want it, you have to do a good job with the software. And by the way, this will have been after Hawkpoint's been out, and AMD can then probably fairly diagnose which OEMs are half-assing software. They can say, actually, just an example, I don't know, Lenovo, you did fine, so we're not going to argue with you, but like Asus, what the hell was this implementation here? Again, not saying it would be Asus. but And so if you want Strix, you got to promise us this will never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, although you have a Lenovo laptop with, I guess, Phoenix. You haven't had any software issues have you no the one thing that's annoying to me which it's not the fault of like the hardware itself but every freaking company putting bloatware on it and there's some annoying bloatware on this one that i've had to uh get rid of (laughs) that's my biggest complaint with it so far i'd say yeah yeah because I don't know why uh, Lenovo was known for that a little bit ago. I'm, uh, it's unfortunate to hear it's still an issue with them sometimes, huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if anybody at Lenovo is uh, listening to this, hey, don't come with, uh, what is it? I believe McAfee preloaded onto it. I don't want McAfee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? I mean, this is, well, yeah, wait. The way I've always- on there, even though Intel bought them. One, I don't know. There's just some OEMs that, uh, there's the OEMs that want to give you Norton or McAfee. It's just a thing. Yeah, I know. And it's just, I, I, you and <laughs> I've always kind of been of the opinion that these antivirus softwares are just installing a different, it's just a different piece of malware that supposedly protects you from other malware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, let us move forward then to the first full story of this episode. Uh, RTX 4070 Super Reviews begin. All right, so I have a write-up here. 
Hot on the heels of initially analyzing the super announcements and leaking early supply whispers for said products, today this channel will have its init will be analyzing initial review data for the RTX 4070 Super, a 192 bit 8104 card that has received both a around 30% L2 cache increase and an around 20% CUDA core count increase over the standard 4070. And that 4070, by the way, just got a price chop to 549, whereas this will have an MSRP of 599. In summary, based on third-party reviews sent to this channel by friends early, the RTX 4070 Super is about 12 to 16% faster than the RTX 4070, depending on the average you are looking at. And this seems like a fairly consistent uplift in all resolutions based on what I have seen today. Now, to put things into perspective, that performance uplift over the 4070 also makes the 4070 Super about 9% faster than the 7800 XT, and the 4070 Ti, though, is still 8% faster than the 4070 Super. So, yeah, I mean, the 4070 Super also indeed consumes only about 15 to 20 watts more than the 4070, and thus about 30 watts less than the 7800 XT, and thus the 4080 consumes about... 35 to 40% more power than the 4070 Super will be in about that much more performant. What I'm getting to is the 4070 Super seems like it might be a hair more efficient than the 4070 and tie the 4080, if not slightly beat it, making it the most efficient graphics card on earth, if that is the most important thing to you, is frames per watt. But what else is there to say? Well, though, this summary is almost exactly the same sort of uplift as we saw from the 2070 to the 2070 Super years ago. A large uplift, but still about 7% weaker than the car being EOL'd above it. Now, that is the 4070 Ti is going to be end of life immediately before it was the 2080. So it isn't quite the same thing as the 4070 Ti is what I would have to say, but it is close. Meanwhile, it is, yes, stronger than the 7800 XT, but it is, it's single digit stronger in almost every average I saw, while costing at least 20% more and offering more uh, less VRAM than the 7800 XT. So in this writer's opinion, AMD's only response to this particular card so far should be facilitating partners to keep the street price of the 7800 XT at MSRP and occasionally lower. Doesn't feel like the 4070 Super is actually a knockout blow to AMD if they could keep the MSRP $100 solidly less than the 4070 Super on average. And it would make sense to me if AMD waited to see how well the 4070 Super sold before they committed to any restructuring of the pricing of their lineup. Although, I will say this directly. Before we started recording, I was warned by one of my best sources that for sure 100% AMD will be dropping the prices of some RDNA 3 products very, very soon. Could that happen? Well, this is being edited by Gerard, and then I'll have to last minute record some addendum for it. Perhaps it will, but at the end of the day, well, we'll just discuss what we think AMD has to do anyways right now, I suppose. Dan, what do you think about the 4070 Super? Uh, I, I mean, I don't th I think it looks uh, good to an extent, but it, good in the way that it's, I kind of just think it's what the 4070 should have been. And if it would have, the 4070 would have launched like this, I think it could have fairly con commanded a $600 price, which that's why it dropped to 550 in response to the 7800 XT because there was really no reason to get the, uh, the 4070 over the uh, 7800 XT. And here, if the 4070 Super holds at a $600 price, eh, I, I think it's reasonable to go with that instead because you have all of the features that AMD refuses to catch up with. Um, yeah, well, Nvidia. I will say, though, to that, I mean, uh, the pricing data we've seen so uh, that I've seen, you know, like 
behind the scenes listings at Best Buy. I knew I even think video cards actually had some screenshots of it. Um, it seems like there will be 4070 supers at MSRP, but a notable amount are like 10 to $30 above that. And so from that perspective, it's like, well, it's interesting to think about this. I think a lot of people are forgetting that the RTX 4070 that is now officially 549, it's de facto been about 549, certainly below $600 for months now. And from that perspective, if the average price of a 4070 Super is like $620, though, that's 15% more money than the 4070's already been at for a while for 15% more performance. And the 7800 XT has been selling fine in that scenario no matter what. So I will say that for this, I think to make a big deal, uh, AMD would have to not be supplying enough 7800 XT slash not allowing partners to get it for a reasonable price to keep it at $500. And then, you know, NVIDIA would have to actually have it at $600. But if it ends up like a $650 card and the 7800 XT goes to $500, no, I'm not telling anyone to spend 30% more if, money for less VRAM and only like 8% more performance or something. Yeah, if they really wanted to like even start making a splash, like, I don't know, $579 or something would have been a bit better price. Like, and I, I don't think that's realistic. And this probably, or like even 550 would have killed the 7800 XT, I think. But mm -hmm. this is just, it, it, it's fine. And I'm not going to call someone an idiot for getting a 4070 Super if it holds at 600. If it starts drifting to like an average price of like 630 or like 650, even though, then I think it's in an awkward no man's land where you either save the money and get a 7800 XT or you just put a little bit more into your system and get like a 7900 XT or uh, the 4070 PI Super, <laughs> um, depending on how that performs when reviews come out for it. I guess the only final question I'd have for you, like in analyzing this card is, I'm going to kind of skip over the ray tracing stuff because well it will obviously have a ray tracing advantage over the 7800 xt i think it is notable that a lot of games to turn on ray tracing you are going to start running into that 12 gigabyte issue anyways a lot of the time like but let's say the 4070 super is 600 dollars and it is what price were the 7800 xt is at would you say it's just as silly as it was before because i think me and you agreed when the 7800 xt came out it was like 4% faster than the 4070, 20% cheaper, and it had more VRAM. That was three things that made us go, this isn't even worth considering anymore. Get the 7800 XT. Does it actually have to be much cheaper than 500, if, or does it be like 480, or what? If it, yeah, if it drops another like 5%, which isn't really, if we're talking, when we're talking, it's not that much. It's 470 or slash 480 versus what it's at now. That's not that big of a drop. I, I think it gets close to that. And if AMD, I don't know if you think how realistic you think it is. I can't remember the exact numbers you said to me. If they dropped it to 450, I think it would kill the it, any question about it. Yeah, but that's that's a relatively big drop, and I don't from, know. From what I've heard, the decision hasn't been made yet as of when this is recording. When this comes out, maybe it will have been made. <laughs> but my opinion, and this is my opinion, which is separate from what happens, is that all AMD has to do is behind the scenes adjust partner pricing. 
So it, maybe they already have too, and it's just above MSRP usually because they can't keep it in stock. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, but just make it so it's easy to be five hundred dollars to the point that a couple of them are a little below MSRP. I think the second you see even four hundred and ninety dollars versus a six hundred and ten dollar forty seventy super, over a twenty percent difference in pricing, pretty much the same raster and less VRAM, but it is more efficient. So that price difference is kind of a top, like you can see why that would have to be there. But th- that's personally what I think. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> There's just a lot of factors that it, it, you have to discuss everything in hypotheticals before a card comes out. So it'll be easier to see because I, uh, not even day of, I would say a couple of weeks out from release, what the landscape looks like. Like, how has AMD responded to it? Are they even supplying this in any meaningful numbers for it to make a splash? The 40, this is just my intuition, but like, I think the 4070 Super should be a high volume card but short term i think it will be higher volume for sure than the 4070 ti super and slightly higher than the 4080 super okay um with me not wanting to double down too hard on the volume of some (laughs) of these products until after the chinese new year frankly yeah yeah um but yeah that is a good point because that's something that i've heard talking to people behind the scenes as well that when people talk about the 7900 xtx uh well we'll we'll get to that let's let's just get to the next story i don't want to get ahead of myself or the other (laughs) reader mails i know we have to get to here ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of ebay postings and cd websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced microsoft software well you don't have to do that just go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And you know, they've been a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and the entire team here for years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to dozens of me and Dan's family members and friends for years now. And they've also been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. So let's then move on to story number two. RTX 4080 Super and 4070 Ti Super announced. Not just the 4070 Super, also, of course, over the past news cycle, NVIDIA announced the 4080 Super and 4070 Ti Super as well at CES. In summary, the 4080 Super gets a tiny CUDA core count increase over the 4080 and a 3% bandwidth increase that should lead to, on average, a 46% performance increase over the 4080. Well, and this is the more impactful thing, costing $200 less with a 999 MSRP. This launches at the end of this month, January. Then, launching at about a week from now, and a week before the 4080 Super, the 4070 Ti Super will launch with an 8103 die that sees a 17.5% reduction in CUDA cores compared to the 4080 Super, and a 9% bandwidth reduction as well, despite gaining that 16GB 256-bit memory setup over the old 192-bit 4070 Ti non-Super. So yeah, it will be 
14 to 18% stronger than the 4070 Ti, but the 4070 Ti Super will not just be a cheaper 4080 or something. It is weaker than the 4080. Yeah. And besides that, what is there to say? Nothing besides wait for the end of January so that you see reviews and potential AMD price drops before you buy any high-end GPU, unless again, me and Dan are annoyed to find that a bunch of news breaks right when we're done recording this or something. <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, what are you, that, of course, 4070 was announced in the news cycle, the 4070 Super, that is. And, of course, it's being reviewed when this episode drops. What do you think about the upcoming 4070 Ti and 4080 Super? Uh, so the 4070 Ti Super, it's the thing I think I have the least thoughts about, so I'll just start with that. Um, I mean, I think AMD has a pretty easy response to it, and like it's probably going to be within a few percent of the 7900 XT anyways. Uh, Plus or minus, yeah, plus or minus a couple percent is what I would guess. So the street price of that is generally already below the $800 MSRP. So if they respond and by officially lowering it like another 30 bucks to 50 bucks, I think that could kill the 4070 Ti. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's just the least interesting card. I mean, once again, it's bringing better price performance on amd's side so i think that's good but i mean on nvidia's side i think i might have misspoke there uh so that's good but i i, I think most of this is bringing price performance way more into alignment where nvidia should have been in the past more than you know some big revolutionary thing mm -hmm. <laughs> and that oh well and well, i think a lot of people are missing that too they i i think they see like you know performance increase for the 4080 super uh, you know, and the 4080 costs 20% more than this will. Um, and they're like, so it's like a 30% adjustment. That's massive. AMD is dead. And it's like, that is massive. But still, right now, the 7900 XTX is going to be f about $50 or more cheaper. AMD can't keep it in stock above MSR. I mean, below MSRP. Like I've been told there's tons of supply issues getting enough 7900 XTXs for sale. So AMD is a little cheaper and has 50% more RAM and the same raster. The 4080 Super has better ray tracing and efficiency. It's still debatable which one you should get yeah, without I mean, any adjustment on that card, right? Like, so I just think that's worth... I'm not saying that means it would sell as well. I'm just saying, I do think people keep forgetting this in the back of their head. Yeah, I mean, the 4080 to 4080 Super, you could argue as a 30% adjustment in performance. It, it, it is, I guess, but it's also because... The 4080 was the most the worst price card in that entire lineup. I think in so, Nvidia's history, arguably. <laughs> yeah, like they they needed that card should have been the same price as the 7900 XTX at launch. Probably the the fact that they thought they could get away with 200 more dollars than it is nonsense. And now the fact that the 7900 XTX, I don't know general street pricing, but it's usually relatively easy to find it at at like nine hundred dollars um actually it's gone up in price over the oh, past week it? a little bit yeah yeah so for a long time then it has been relatively easy to find for nine hundred dollars if you're willing to look a little bit but this is best buy uh but yeah so when you have it what is that the uh 7900 is 25 percent cheaper 10 percent better raster performance and has 50% more RAM than the 4080. It's just def uh, defeats it at every level except for, 
you know, the 4080 makes up for tracing. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I, I mean, I think the, the 4080 Super is kind of like the biggest admission of defeat in NVIDIA's history because they didn't mm. even try to go for the 4080 Super at $1,200. They're like, nope, it needed to, <laughs> the 4080 should have been 10% stronger when it came out and should have been 20% cheaper. Like, By the way, the amount of people in the comments that called us morons for, or really not us, I should say me a moron for <laughs> making up a leak that it was going to be nine ninety nine months ago, you know, I mean, I don't know why, it, I, to those people, if you're listening, and I know a lot of you are because you comment on every single video despite claiming you hate us, um, like, I just want you to understand, like, I, it wasn't a lucky guess, right? I had people at NVIDIA that told me the price. And if you think it's surprising, it's only surprising if you don't believe the other stuff this channel has leaked. The 4080 is a sales disaster. A fucking shockingly bad selling card. Worst in NVIDIA's history, relatively speaking. It's almost like this price proves what we've leaked about 4080 sales is also not made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say... I, I know like websites usually respond algorithmically. So they just like increase price based on demand. Yeah. The, f I'll definitely say that the street pricing of the 7,900 XTX is definitely a bit overpriced right now. I would not buy it at, <laughs> I would not buy that at $1,100, which is what some of them are priced at right now. Hey. Mark writes in and he says, I'm calling it on the street. The 7,900 XT cannot command a premium of over $50 with the 4070 Ti or 4070 Super. Furthermore, the 7,900 XTX cannot command a premium of $30 above the 4070 Ti Super. I don't know if the Supers will be MSRP this quarter, but I promise that AMD's cards won't be more than the premiums described. Would you put any money on the market actually bearing a greater premium than described for the AMD cards? Street price for street price for four consecutive weeks before next gen. So um, I'm going to skip over the bet because you have a complicated way of trying to qualify what the bet is. So let's just, I'm going to just skip right over that, but just get to your overall point is you think if AMD weren't to drop prices that they'll get absolutely destroyed in sales. And I will say, I reached out to several contacts today. Like I, I usually do when I'm putting together the notes for this episode to just make sure I'm not missing anything changing behind the scenes right before we record. And I've been told by everyone across the board that the 7900 XTX is in short supply, selling well, and if anything, it's commanding a higher price after Super was announced than before, suggesting that people saw the 4080 Super and said, fuck that, I'll get a $900 7900 XTX or something. So I just, there is no evidence behind your claim is what I want to make clear here. The XTX he is preferred over 16 gigabyte cards that cost more. I think that's just clear. All right. Now, we'll now having said that, though, I do think they'll probably drop the price to something. And I think if it did drift above 4080 pri super pricing, yeah, I think the 4080 super would probably sell better, especially short term, because I'm hearing from some retailers that at least short term, you'll see a spike in 4080 super sales because these are the people giving up on trying to get a 4090 for 1600 and this was mm -hmm. the nudge they needed to consider something weaker is what i've heard but i don't know if that's gonna last long term because that's gonna be a set amount of people that were trying to get a 4090 for 1600 once that sells through i don't know if that's everyone else what were you gonna say no i was gonna uh, so you have to keep him think about it too though because okay the 4080 super gets released or not released, announced, and then a bunch of people decide this is the deciding factor. I'm going to get a 
go ahead and get a 7900 XDX now. Now, if you're making that calculation with the 7900 XDX at like $880, $900 or whatever, okay, I think that makes some sense. But if you're still committed to getting the 7900 XDX once it's up to 980 1099 yeah, or $1,099, which is what some of them are at, I think you've... Um, I, th- I think you've now gone against your own logic for the purchase because <laughs> no, <laughs> don't buy a fucking 7,900 XDX for $1,100. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if AMD, if AMD can keep, get, can keep the price street price of it to like 900, maybe even 850 or I, I think it's going to continue selling way better than the 4080 super. But if, they try if they, this somehow leads to a long term adjustment of the 7900 XDX pricing up. I think demand is going to fall for it pretty quickly because I think people buying it at 980 now would mostly be AMD fanboys for that have a really weird sense of logic. The only other option would be it's for AI or something. I don't know. That's, uh, that's I, I throw that idea out there too. Um, but no, uh, so and I just adjust, um, you know address the xtx part of mark's question notes i have here is um you know for for the 7900 xt um i think that's the one that needs the adjustment the most and if we're being honest dan that's always been the card in amd's line i mean it's needed the adjustment the most too though if i i don't know what you think it should be do you think 700 is still a good target or do you think it needs to go even lower um i mean i think i think 699 is fine and i think We'll see, you know, uh, in a week from now, we'll see the 4070 Ti Super benchmarks. But from what I have seen, the four, the uh, people are forgetting, the 4070 Ti Super is not a fucking 4080. It will be weaker. So the 7900 XT was already, I think, often sometimes in averages double digits stronger than the 4070 Ti. What does that mean? Well, the raster of the 4070 Ti Super and the 7900 XT is probably going to be fairly close, within 5% of each other, and yet AMD's card has more RAM. So I think if you go down to $700, you're like, we're $100 less, same raster, more RAM. I don't think it needs to go lower than that. And frankly, below that, I think the margins become questionable anyways. Mm -hmm. But so all of this is to say, I don't know, look, and again, I'll be annoyed if this breaks when we're posting <laughs> the episode. I will be very annoyed, but we will see. Um, uh, but I, I think if I was AMD, I think they can afford $699 for the 7900 XT, so I would. I would do that, and then you come to the XTX. It's so hard because, on the one hand, it's hard for them to keep it in stock, and I think people are forgetting we're still weeks away from the 4080 Super launch. So if you're AMD and you're like, well, we could be making more money for weeks until we even need to drop the price, I personally think they should show an initiative and drop the price for once, but I feel like they might want to go to 799 just because then you can market it's the same price as NVIDIA with more RAM. And if it's not actually about that I think it needs to be that cheap percentage-wise... I just think seven ninety nine sounds better than eight forty nine, and I think mm-hmm. when you look at what they decided with the seventy eight hundred XT, everyone I spoke to, it's not because they didn't think you can make pretty much the same argument for the seventy eight hundred XT at five thirty dollars, for example. It's just being able to market four ninety nine 
It's the same reason a PlayStation 5 would be $499, not $529, because that's mm-hmm. the number people want to see. Right? Yeah. So from that perspective, if AMD is serious and they think they have the supply, I would go $799 and $699 just because it would be a slam dunk and those are the round numbers. You know, then you'll have reviews going 4070 Ti Super, 7900 XTX, and the conclusion will be like, you know, 20% stronger, 50% more RAM, same price, get AMD. I just think you're making them compare it to the right thing at that price. And if AIBs want to sell it for 900 half the time, who cares? That That's personally what I think AMD should do. I don't really think they need to necessarily go lower than 899 though with it. I mean, it is going to be stronger than the Super, the 4070 Ti Super. It is going to have more RAM. I think having a slight price premium over it is fair. I just think 799 is more marketable. Well, I mean, yeah, it is fair, but yeah, I, I do think you have to just agree with the fact that the market tends to be unfair towards AMD most of the time. So, or at least in the GPU space. But but I think they still meet my 30% rule. Yeah, you know, even at a at a higher price. We're talking about something 20% stronger with 50% more RAM. I mean, yeah. I I, I don't know. I I think uh that's overkill at the same price. You know, and even if you go a little higher in price, you're still kind of within where I think they need to be. At a thousand dollars, if they actually hold that though, yeah, they're going to lose a lot of sales. But I know they're not going to do that probably unless literally they just can't make enough cards to supply. That'd be the only reason AMD would not drop the price on that one. And well, the the negative reaction to that would just be if they don't adjust pricing or try to get it under control now, there's probably going to be a bunch of pissed off Reddit posts or people that spent a thousand dollars on a seven nine hundred XTX a week before it dropped two hundred bucks, and it's like, yeah, well, you probably should have thought about the market before you've made a really stupid purchase. But that's a good point too, though. It's like if you're AMD, I, I, I would either do it like a day after we release this episode, somewhere <laughs> around there, or I would do it Friday this week after you see the initial reviews and feedback on the 4070 super because the 7900 xt isn't going to drop to 600 dollars. now it would be hilarious if that happens right after this episode comes out but so you know you 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 kind of have the luxury to see how the 4070 super sells and is perceived before you really need to make the decisions that's kind of what i'm wondering if amd would do and i don't think they can wait any longer than that because you're gonna have two things that would be annoying you're gonna have people who are still buying amd and then feel burned but then you'd also have reviewers who the day before the review and they've they're already done AMD's like price drop. It's like, come on, AMD, if you're going to make the decision, make, make it easy on the press. I know you don't have to, but you do understand like they do judge your products. And if you made it easy, <laughs> make it easy for them to give NVIDIA a bad review. I mean, yeah, but you know, that, that's what I would say. Um, Kirch Freddie writes and he says, how do you expect NVIDIA to go about selling through the 4070 Ti and 4080 stock? I mean, I can kind of speak, uh, speak with some specific, spe- with specifics, <laughs> say that word, with specifics here. Um, like the 4070 Ti has been selling below $800 for a while now. In fact, let me check what its current pricing is on Newegg. Oh, there it is, 1750 780 it's funny that i'm seeing some literally at 750 now. What I'm told is NVIDIA is they're going to sell it for 750 uh, and not have any 4070 Ti super supply, basically. That, that's what I've been told. And so they're going to be like, they're going to hope it'll be a consolation prize where 
There'll be like some supply, but no follow through. The 4070 Ti Super will sell out pretty quick. And then they're just hoping everyone goes, well, this is 10% cheaper. I'll just get the 4070 Ti. And that's kind of their plan for like the next few months. For the 4080, I think they stopped making that like half a year ago. So I, I don't think they have a plan. I think they're just like, well, I mean, I would just guess they need to sell through whatever they have left uh, for 900 bucks or something. I don't know, Dan. I think but. they're just going to let it sit there <laughs> and see what happens personally. Um, at least that's what they're indicating. All right. Mark writes in again. He says, congratulations on your spot on leaks for the RTX Super Series pricing that no major outlets could credit or even report on. Video cards gave me credit. Ironically, you had all the information which NVIDIA were trying to hide correct, but you missed some information from NVIDIA's Computex 2023 keynote. That keynote, they showed off a demo of people speaking, uh, typing, and NPCs talking back. Now, six months later, a demo has been built into Cyberpunk. Typing to NPCs would be an accessibility feature for gamers without microphones or who can't speak clearly in the game's language. That's cool. For most of us, we'll be speaking as we do in real life. Future iterations of this technology will pick up on more than our words. No, I didn't miss this, at least if you're talking about the thing they have in their keynote where an AI talked to an AI. I directly brought this up with Heemskirk and showed a video of it on screen, I believe. And I actually noticed some pretty decent issues with it. Like... uh, I noticed, I think I, I think I brought this up to you, Dan, like the AI speaking to the AI. They were like, look how the conversation's different every time. Isn't that cool? But it wasn't different like someone saying synonyms or something in a slightly different way, like how a human normally would. Like I talked to you, Dan, like you asked me, Tom, what do you think about the 7600 XT? I explain it. And then another friend asked me and I tell them it'd be in different wording, but I'd basically say the same gist. Mm-hmm. That's not what the AI did. They just like had entirely different contradictory opinions from instance to instance, to which I said, that's a failure of the AI algorithm. Like that's a failure. <laughs> like that's not how humans work. They don't just randomly decide the next day to <laughs> have a different opinion. Ba- and that makes it an unpredictable game. So I will say at least the demo I saw, they need work. And this is yeah. clearly just in the presentational phase, in my opinion. I didn't miss it though. You missed the last episode of Broken Silicon, my Thank you for writing in. All right. Now let us move on to story number three. RX 7600 XT 16 gigabyte announced amongst shockingly low mobile Radeon sales. Quote in here from Anantech. Kicking things off with the GPU space at this year's CES, AMD was at the show and announced they're bringing an additional RX 7000 series card to their lineup, the 7600 XT. It is intended as a premium version of their existing 1080p-focused 7600. The 7600 XT bumps things up with roughly 10% higher clock speeds, as well as a doubling of the total amount of VRAM to 16 gigabytes. The upgraded Radeon card will hit retail shelves on January 24th for a similarly premium price of more than the 7600 for double the VRAM and higher clock speeds. And this comes at the same time as per the analysis for computer base that RDNA 3 Mobile has hit a true nadir. As a German publication, they they accentuate the German market, but even then, it is significant that they only found one laptop there using RDNA 3. But now that model has been switched to GeForce, and CES only saw two products with laptop RDNA 3 products, both being mini PCs, not laptops. With mobile RDNA 3 seemingly dead, AMD seems to be trying to switch dies intended for mobile to PCs with the 7600 XT, which, yes, these would be better bin that could probably clock higher at high. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's probably what they're doing. 
Navi 33, the cost-optimized, architecturally compromised would-be laptop champion, has gone out then, and therefore with a whimper we should though mention the rub too and that is the upcoming rdna4 with an even stronger focus on laptop calling into question if that's a good idea short term that's a good point but yeah so that's something i noticed so i think there's two things to discuss here which is the 7600 xt but then also i at least noticed this and i asked carbon cry to consider this when he did the write-up for this when he handled this one like it kind of seems like they're launching the 7600 xt the moment no partners are using radeon graphics cards and laptops anymore well I, I, it, I don't know how much i have to say about the failure of uh rdna and mobile i mean it really does just seem like rdna has not been able to buy uh penetrate into the laptop market like uh their cpus have been able to mm-hmm. um and that's because they, i really don't think that they've done anything that convincing to make people want to get it over what's already there provided by uh nvidia it's so people want to see an nvidia sticker on their laptop they're going to keep getting it it's just the market works a bit differently than desktop well i think it's that and what they needed the whole point of navi 33 was (laughs) we're bringing you a 4060 performance with six nanometer pricing okay that's cool people i talked to at nvidia even think it's a cool idea like they've told (laughs) me they like it and yet it's the one that seems to be doing the worst I mean, I think the only way that makes sense is if you actually follow through on the end product, what your argument is. Your argument was it's 4060s for last-gen cheaper cheapo pricing. All right, well, then it needs to be in like $700 laptops with Rembrandt refresh chips with nice screens. If there would have been $1,200 4060s and then Ryzen 8-core Zen 3 Plus 7600M products out there in mass from HP or Lenovo or someone, I think it would have done well, but they just didn't bite. So either they think the total cost difference didn't, didn't make a god dang difference, by the way, is, which is possible. Or at a minimum, they're like, I don't know, we can spend 100 bucks more for the 4060 and it will be more efficient and then we can put the NVIDIA sticker on it. And I think that's what OEMs decided. And I do think... It- to be fair though efficiency is really important in laptops and i don't know if you give me something a laptop that's like same same performance but a hundred bucks more but it has like 20 30 percent more battery life or i don't even know how much more it would have in certain contexts or even just I, while you're gaming the laptop doesn't get as hot or something i don't know yeah that's another factor it's like yeah yeah i might go for that because <laughs> that is a thing that you have to think about way more with laptops Mm-hmm. So I think me and you would say, I guess in hindsight, it's easy to construct arguments for why Navi 33 didn't do that well. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'll just say this a part of it is RDNA 3 clearly fell short by 20%. If it would have been, we're giving you 4060 Ti performance for cheaper than a 4060, which I believe was their initial goal, then yeah, that uh, would have worked well. <laughs> I think it would have worked, but it was just that little bit weaker, less efficient, and they just didn't have the overall argument to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I would say. Um, all right, but what do you think of the 7600 XT? Uh, I, I mean, so I think what's going to happen with this card is it's going to be received pretty negatively initially. Um, and I think as time goes on, it's going to become a sought after 1440p entry card, level card. Um, why, why do you think it's going to get bad reviews? Uh, because I can read and everybody is mad and is calling it. Now, I'm not going to say I agree with this, 
they're calling it the 4060 Ti from AMD when where it's I get it you're basically selling a card f- for more money with double the RAM but I think the context is completely different here where this is still a bit more powerful they're only increasing the price by 60 bucks which is probably just mostly the cost of the RAM mm-hmm. uh whereas the 4060 Ti made a it is a card that really just highlighted how stupid i mean the 4060 ti 16 gigabyte really just highlighted how stupid the 4060 ti was as well because mm-hmm. essentially they have a launch a card with uh <laughs> they launch a card that's significantly weaker than a 7800 xt with the same amount of ram for the same price and it's just like well this card has no place in the market to the to exist and also the 4060 ti also looks dumb here the 7600 xt is i mean the 7600 is pretty decent price performance or good price performance it doesn't have much ram great 1080p card okay what if we make this a little bit stronger price it's 60 dollars more give it 16 gigs of ram Eh, i think that's a relatively compelling 1440p card but the fact that it's a $60 increase in price and you're not really getting that big of an increase in price, I, I mean, a big increase in performance is naturally going to piss some people off, even though it's like, well, if you don't think you're going to need the 16 gigs of RAM ever, or you just even need more than the eight gigabytes that it provides, okay, then get the 7600 instead. At 330 this isn't terrible. This isn't a bad price performance card. I mean, I think it would have been pretty well received if it had been priced at 300 instead. Mm-hmm. But but that part, I'm not sure. They may have just destroyed their margins. I mean, this is more than <laughs> yeah, thirty dollars worth of RAM because RAM prices have gone up a little bit slight uh, in the past, you know, whatever so, month or so. But but I think what's going to end up happening is people are going to be mad about it at first. It's going to drop in price, and then six months to a year from now, it's going to be like viewed as the possibly new- the next 580 or something. Yeah, or I, I don't know. Like, say, uh, RX five eighty, not obviously, but <laughs> not the GTX five eighty. No, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. And, and I was actually taken aback because you know, in my analysis video, um, like Nvidia and AMD CES analysis video, which of course would have touched on this, I was like, eh, it would have been a home run at three hundred dollars. I leaked that it's going to be basically between three hundred and three thirty. I guess it's not a home run, but at three thirty, I'm like, um, I mean, I don't know. This is the only card I'm going to recommend in this price range, unless it's something on sale for two fifty. Because either you have enough RAM or you don't, and this is more than enough. It's selling for about the same price as what aftermarket forty sixties are. I'm like, same seems like a winner. It is double the RAM in this price range. But I was just taken aback how many people seem to be mad at this thing, and all I can say is, yeah, I guess I don't know what the reviews will be. I know we will cover them, me and you, Dan, uh, in the next news episode, but uh, I, I'm going to suspect some of them will be good reviews. A couple people will think that they're like hitting... The comments, the comments are going to be very negative on those positive reviews, though. I, I, well, they're negative <laughs> on every positive review now, so That's what the true. fuck does it matter? I mean, everything's horrible now. Everything should be $10 or free, apparently. But, I mean, what we have here is AMD passing along the cost of the RAM, just, just not marking it up more than that cost is i mean remember this is going to have a clamshell design so they're not just adding eight gigabytes of ram while memory price is already going up this year they're adding it on the back of the board and have to add another cooling backplate to it 
So th- it's basically like they're not even passing along the cost to you. They're just asking you to pay for the RAM they added. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, and I think the big, the best argument I've seen though is people are like, well, what about the sixty seven hundred XT? And I go, yeah, all right, go buy it. <laughs> all the every time someone says that, it's like I'm looking at Newegg right now. Most of them are three forty to three fifty. Sometimes it hits three thirty. Uh, I, mean, I would say I've been recommending the 6700 XT at the price it's at for a while now. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think people are missing something here. The, you know, the 6650 XT was stronger than the 6600 XT. The 7600 was a tad stronger than the 6650 XT. This will be a tad stronger than the 7600 XT. You keep adding single digit performance increases from 6600 XT, 6650 XT, 60. 7600, 7600 XT, you get to a point where, at least what I'm seeing on Tech Power Up, like the estimate is like that the 6700 XT is going to be like 10 to 15% faster. So, yes, the 6700 XT is a good option, but it's, you know, barely double digit stronger with less RAM while using more energy. It doesn't sound like an obviously better card to me. It sounds like AMD is a card that's, uh, $150 below what it used to sell for. And now they have an option with more RAM for similar performance and less power usage at the same price. I, I don't know. I would actually probably go for the 7600 if I'm being honest. Like, uh, give me that 16 gigabytes of RAM. I think that will matter in the future much more than the 15% yeah. performance or something. And and this is a card that's being sold almost at cost. So what yeah, I don't know. I I think the fact that they're matching a card that's that much below MSRP is kind of a pretty big deal. I mean, NVIDIA certainly isn't doing that. Well, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember off the top of my head, how did the uh, 4060 and 7600 uh, compete price uh, performance-wise? The same. Okay, I, I, I couldn't remember if one was like 5% stronger, but... In 1080p, the 4060 tends to win. In 1440p, the 7600 tends to win, but okay. either way, it's a barely a win if it happens. And the ray tracing thing was interesting because they're just both not as good at ray tracing as the cards above them. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if the forty sixty performed worse in ray tracing than I expected, actually. Yeah, if you can really only find the forty sixty above MSRP, I, I, I really don't know what the complaint is because you're essentially just getting something slightly stronger than the forty sixty that's a little bit more expensive with double the RAM. I mean, mm. I, I I would say it's the reception. If you can save up for $300, you can save up enough to get a card that will have enough RAM for 10 years. I would I would say these cards shouldn't even be considered next to them, to be honest. I, I mean, to me, it's just the, the suggestion that this is the same scenario as the 4060 Ti kind of exposes the way a lot of people view the market, where... Uh, I get that on a surface level, it's similar because, oh, it's almost the same performance for it with slightly, I mean, with double the RAM. But it's like, well, the performance is still higher with the 7600 XT. It's not going to be double digits, but it's higher still. And in uh, places where it's necessary, it's really going to help performance. Uh, (laughs) But the price they're passing along the consumer is more or less just covering the cost of what they're adding to it. Um, mm-hmm. where the 4060 Ti 16 gigabyte was attempting to be, I don't know if a higher margin card, but a higher, uh, more profit per unit sold card at, le- at a minimum. 
and it looked insanely stupid next to the 7800 XT. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's not the same scenario. Uh, NVIDIA CEO God King Jensen Wang writes in and says, Who is subsidizing AMD's Radeon division to enable them to sell a GPU so cheaply? Well, joking aside, Ryzen is, but... He says, with 16 gigabytes of RAM, is it some company that got pissed off because they misunderstood the relationship? No, uh, I think this is something to point out here. When the 6600 XT, the last-gen 8-gigabyte product launched for $380, RAM was double the price that it is now. All those videos we put out back then that were like, AMD is paying $10 to $25 per gigabyte right now during a shortage. Prices are going up a bit this year. You know, they're probably spending about half as much. So, yes, they're spending half as much and shipping costs are down. They're, they can afford to sell it for this price. <laughs> I don't think it's great margin, but it's not bad, you know, and I think it just calls into question or highlights like, yes, that is how badly priced Lovelace is. <laughs> this isn't actually unreasonable. Yeah. And that's really what you have to look at is top to bottom. The Lovelace lineup is just poorly priced (laughs) yeah um all right let us move on to story number four ryzen 8000g announced while hotpoint seems to be getting rapid adoption quoting here for tom's hardware at least at first amd announced four processors in its new ryzen 8000g phoenix lineup of apus for its desktop am5 pcs at ces bringing 1080p capable integrated graphics to the company's newest platform for the first time not to mention unlocking a new lower entry point to the am5 ecosystem the two flagship ryzen 8000g processors are also the world's first desktop cpus with an integrated high performance neural engine unit uh, to boost performance and ai workloads beating intel to the punch yet again AMD was also the first x86 chipmaker to bring an MPU to laptops, too. But anyways, Tom's Hardware just wants to make it clear, I think, that every time Intel right now says they did this first, they didn't. But <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, though, 8000G lineup consists of four chips with two very clear tiers. Very clear in all but naming, that is. The two high SKUs, the R78700G and R58600G, are based on the Phoenix die. They include fully enabled XDNA NPUs, uh, run full Zen 4 cores, the 8700G has eight of them. The 8600G has six of them and offer further breakthrough in APU graphics with 12 and eight CUs, respectively. So yeah, top chip, eight cores, Zen 4, 12 CU, 8600G, six cores, full Zen 4, eight CUs. On the other hand, though, the R58500G and R38300G seem to be based on Little Phoenix. This means they do not have an NPU and contain a mix of Zen 4 and Zen 4C cores. The R5 having fully enabled lineup of two big cores and four C cores, and the Ryzen 3 having just one big core supplemented by three C cores. The graphics area is further compromised too, with CU caught the CU count dropping to just four for each of them. The scientifically interesting part then will be. The R3, how will the performance look like in normal usage with only one fully boosting big core? Sadly, the R3 will be OEM only, though, so it probably won't be reviewed quickly. And anyways, though, the processors will cost 329 229 and 179 uh, The construction of the SQs does feel an unnecessary act of self-sabotage in some ways, with Little Phoenix not being that much smaller with a 23%. Uh, yeah, and the die size difference between them isn't that big. That's a note there from Carbon Cry. Um, but yeah, in other news, the refreshed Hawkpoint dies are already rapidly replacing Phoenix in the most demanding designs handheld, namely those from GPD and Ienio. 
This makes sense as those smaller players hold much smaller inventory. Hogpoint is a drop and upgrade. Handhelds have high visibility, right? Making it worthwhile for AMD to prioritize them for the marketing value and not having to supply too many of the CPUs to these handheld companies. And lastly, handhelds are also very sensitive to real power usage. That should be an area where Hogpoint is a big area of improvement. So there we go. I, I combined these, you know, that at CES, it seemed like AMD is having a ton of partners, whether it's handhelds, Dell, Lenovo, Gideon, Hawkpoint. Every day I'm seeing a bunch of things announced with Hawkpoint, which, by the way, I think this is notable at Intel CES. They did not have a lot of partners announcing tons of Meteor-like <laughs> designs. Um, they're there, but they didn't have that many. They're much more Raptor-like, so Meteor-like doesn't seem to be doing that well, whereas Hawkpoint seems to be ahead of Phoenix in adoption. And then, of course, they also announced the 8000G on AM5. Dan, what do you think? Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think the 8700 G looks interesting. I think the 8600 G, I, I just wish that they could release one of these products that has a cut down CPU core count with more, with the same number of compute units, because mm. I think that would be a lot more compelling. And honestly, if I were just trying to build a really cheap gaming system that only has an APU, I would probably want six cores maybe even four cores in the 12 CUs rather than the full eight cores, but whatever. <laughs> and then I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the uh, dense cores perform with the uh, 8500 uh, G. Although, yeah. I, I mean, at $180, that does make it the cheapest uh, Zen for uh, desktop CPU, so and they are technically they are technically launching an R three for the first time in a long <laughs> time. <laughs> so with that one, it's almost to me the compute units don't really even matter. It's just you're getting a slightly more gimped seventy six hundred for cheaper. Mm-hmm. Let me see here. You know, I do think. Hmm. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. So I think I saw Kepler on Twitter talking about this and i just want to double check on amd's website here and see the difference so the 8700g comes with 20 pcie lanes um with 16 of them for graphics the 8300g apparently comes with let me see here of course i pulled it up and then lost where i was looking it comes with 14 total lanes with 10 for graphics meaning mm. it can only put eight to the graphics card really wait what is the uh, r5 i think that's up? also that yeah that's not great <laughs> but i mean that's enough to run a card and i think it's a fair point uh to say that i guess you know the 40 all the way up to the 4060 ti only has eight pcie lanes so that would be enough True. i guess yeah the 8500g also only has that many lanes um i I, I so I do think as like a drop in to to hopefully get a, a better graphics card later. These aren't great. I would rather I would much rather have a seventy eight hundred seventy eight seven hundred X or seventy seven hundred X three D, which are all priced for around the same price as the eighty seven hundred G or yeah. in that uh, hundred dollar range. I, I, I think it is notable that. It was just mentioned, though, that the 8300G seems to be OEM only. It's probably Mm -hmm. for a reason. It's probably because it's only going to be used in systems without a graphics card or a system where an OEM selected the exact graphics card that doesn't get bottlenecked to go with it or something like that. And it's the 8500G that I think is kind of the oddest. But, you know, it's Little Phoenix, and so the only thing I can really say about 8500G is I don't really hate it so much as I kind of feel like it's 
overpriced is about all I can say. It should yeah, be it, 199 flat at most. You got six cores and they're weaker cores than the 7600. Well, the 8500G is 180, isn't it? Um, is Are you reading that right now in front of you? Uh, I mean, I'm reading the write-up. I can double-check online, though. Oh, you're right. It is yeah, 179. Oh, well, so then egg on my <laughs> face. Right, because the 8300G, I misread my own write-up. The 8300G <laughs> is OAM only. This that one eighty. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I honestly, I still think that I I stand by. I think you know it would for this to make sense. You're like I'm compromising my PCIe. It is weaker. So this is a budget, budget, budget. So I kind of have to be like one fifty for people to like make videos going, dude. It works well though. Yeah, because it, it's a weird CPU because like I I almost don't even care about the four compute units at all, and it's mm-hmm. like this is something. Agreed. This is something I would get if I'm doing an ultra budget, as much of a budget build as I could, because you're still getting new components with this. So if you're looking to save money, this is something you would get with like, I don't know, a 7600 or something like that. And yeah. I think that would, it would pair well with that. Yeah. Again, I think I go back to what we said. Like I said, for these, we talked about this, I believe, a month or two ago. To be a home run, the eight core would kind of have to be $300. But it's hard to see AMD doing that because then it's the same price, basically, isn't it, then, as the 8-core that doesn't even come with graphics that can play games. And therein lies the problem with a lot of these products is it's hard to price them appropriately with the other stuff. The one thing I will say is long-term, maybe they'll drop in price below Zen 5 CPUs. And I think really that's where it will be the interesting thing is if it was like 250 and it's like, hey... It's cheaper than the 9700X or whatever they call it. Uh, but, you know, it still can play every game and it comes with a 1650. So I think that's really where they need to be. But otherwise, it's like, it's yeah, there, it's but, cool, but I don't have that much to say. Because the problem is when you're making the, this many compromises uh, for graphics with a full dedicated CPU, it's almost like, well, why wouldn't, instead of getting an 8700g for 330 dollars why not get a 200 dollar like 7600 or 7600 x mm-hmm. whichever wherever those are priced right now <laughs> and then okay you have 130 dollars for a graphics card spend slightly more money on your cpc and get something Just like get a one times dollar 6600 yeah and, you and know. Get like a, or get something just way more powerful or like you said yeah, spend 50 more bucks, gets a, a 66. We're, we're talking about going from 12 compute units there to like, what, like 32 or something or 28 compute units, I think, 28, I think, with the the 6600. So yeah, you're over doubling performance. I mean, just, so I, just do that. I, I think the place these CPUs, have, or APUs, I should say, have the most potential to be interesting is like those small, is like in NUX. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you might be able to get something cool out of that, but for DIY, I don't know how good they are. Yeah, I think it is. It's almost just scientific reasons. I think the most interesting thing to see will be seeing the 8300G tested. And I suspect all they're going to prove is that it's not a big deal. It has C cores. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't really affect the single threading that much. Um, and then we'll also find with 8700G testing, I just want to know if you give it DDR5 8000, if you push it to 150 watts, how strong can 12 RDNA 3 compute units get? <laughs> That's always the thing I'm more interested in because I suspect they might get 
probably not to 1660, but above 1650 Ti. And that'd be what I would mm-hmm. be interested to see. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't have too many more thoughts on the that. I mean, they're cool products, but almost just from more of a theoretical perspective. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, an ultra budget. That's where I like them. They're also, I can see the argument for why you would get an 8700G short term if you're not going to game a lot right now, but the games you have to run will easily run on it. And then you get a graphics card. I can see the argument. Look, it's it's basically the same price as an a, a 7700X. So the what only, are you really losing getting that instead? The only thing you're losing is it does have fewer PCIe lanes though than the uh, yes, and they're 4.0. So if you get like a budget B650 board, it won't make a difference really to you. Yeah, but yes, this cuts out getting the more expensive stuff. But then there'd be some people going, I'm not getting that motherboard. So I can see the arguments, but it's not something that I could see myself talking about a lot. Yeah. You know, um, the Reaper writes in and uh, he says, one of the few meteor like advantages I've seen from reviews is the low idle power courtesy of the low power Crestmont cores. For example, in the hardware Canucks review, a meteor like blacktop is shown to have doubled the battery life of a 7840U despite only having a 50% larger battery. Right. But if it's idle, right, then the larger capacity comes into play quite a lot. And what screens did they have? I don't know. Without rewatching the video, this is why I don't think their benchmark is a good representation of how most people use their laptops. Okay. I think it highlights an idle power advantage that Intel has. And an advantage, ARM SOCs have things to being built on decades of maximum efficient designs. Well, among other things. From AMD's side, I think their higher idle and close to idle power draw creates a lot of variability in terms of AMD's battery power results and reviews. Well, I, I think it would actually be the other way. AMD's would be more consistent in their remote scenarios is where Intel wins battery life. That's why you see some meteor like reviews say it has good efficiency and you see some saying it has the worst ever. It's actually the variability of meteor like is what would make mm-hmm. it inconsistent. I may have the real advantage of AMD. Anyways, though, he says, given that background, how does AMD plan to address their weakness in idle and close to idle scenarios? There's more low power states. Is there a little, a lot of untapped low hanging, low power fruit to be exploited? So look, uh, the way I approached with the notes I wrote to answer this reader mail here, uh, the Reaper, is that I'm just going to have Gerard put on screen some 8840U benchmark comparisons, which I know, Dan, you already saw a couple nights ago that I sent to you. Mm-hmm. And I want you to look at these examples where AMD is showing 81% efficiency leads in some scenarios, faster AI, and at least what they're showing marketably wins in gaming performance. Sometimes by like, a lot i don't think amd's worried at all like i think the fact that you have to like find one review that found the efficiency better what do you think is going to happen when amd starts highlighting the scenarios when they're more efficient i mean uh, the slides that will be on screen right now show massive wins in many commonplace scenarios by hawk point and if all intel can claim is like in one review they won a little with a bigger battery <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. We're, we're, I don't think AMD is worried at all because they know they have Strix coming too. So this is, what are they going to do? Everything. Strix is a full upgrade that's going to wipe the floor with Meteor-like. Yeah, for, uh, from everything I'm seeing, it's like, if you really torture a benchmark, which I'm not even saying it's necessarily bad to fi- find this context in which Intel wins, that's fine. There's a, uh, But if you torture it enough, you can find certain contexts where Intel wins in efficiency, but it seems to be such a narrow window where they they can truly claim it. And we're already talking about year old technology it's being compared against. It's just what what I don't quite get the 
point of the comparison or the point of uh, hyper fixating on the comparison. That's a good way to put it. What's because, the point in hyper fixating on this? Because I don't know. I, I kind of go back to my analogy of, yeah, Intel wins in Intel is the king of uh, forgetting that you left your laptop on overnight and now it's dead. They're the mm-hmm. king of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, sorry. In Intel, the laptop might not be dead yet. <laughs> AMD, it might be. And it, but it's might be because if you, again, all right. So Intel has their example that you, Reaper, said you think is unrealistic, where they win seemingly by 25% or something in, a, in idle power. Um, okay. Well, AMD is going to show, I have a slide I'm looking at here that shows in what is this, Proxion Office Productivity. 81% better efficiency than Meteor Lake. Well, actually using Office software. Or here, when it, whether it's Premiere, Geekbench, Lame, Handbrake, they're showing like up to 50% performance leads, up to 80% AI performance leads, and up to 60% higher integrated graphics performance. In remote games, no, Far Cry 6. You know, so like I think. If that's the only thing you can point to, AMD is going to have plenty of big numbers they can point to, too. And I think the overall picture isn't going to look very good. And I don't think AMD is worried at all. And when, if you ask me, what are they going to do to fix this? seems like Hawkpoint's already fixing it up. And I think Strix is going to be a massive uplift over that. So, Got any 2024 New Year's resolutions? Well, my girlfriend's cat does trying to jump around in as much loose wrapping paper as he can. And my dog, Jesse, well, her New Year's resolution is to watch him do that as much as possible for some reason. But for many of us humans, New Year's resolutions usually involve trying to learn a new skill or improve our health while staying happy. And, well, Vite Ramen can help you do that last one. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, or also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, or their new Nano Boost Vitality Powder that I honestly think tastes fantastic and is a great way to get a tasty burst of energy later in the day without cranking yourself up on that third or fourth or fifth, really, cup of coffee that you know you shouldn't be drinking if you want to go to bed at a reasonable time. Seriously, their Vitality Powder, it actually does taste very, very good. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And for all of their products, whether it's kitchenware, uh, powders, or their ramen, of course, click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on all of their fantastic products. They really are a great rapidly growing american startup that's been very good to the moore's laws dead team over the past few years and well due to us actually liking their products and liking them they've been good to us so supporting them supports me and even just clicking on the link in the description makes a big difference as well but i really do like their products and recommend them so check out vite ramen today um Anyways, though, let us then move on and continue the Intel conversation with story number five, Lunar Lake and Arrow Lake details kind of announced. At CES, Intel made some headlines announcing new details for upcoming CPU products, although in summary, they really boil down to just the following. Arrow Lake, Intel confirmed it will come out this year on desktop and will have an MPU. And then Lunar Lake, they showed it 
which was probably the most interesting thing, is that they actually showed a physical lunar lake engineering sample. Then they claim it is also coming out in 2024 and supposed to have a, and I'm quoting here, greater than up to greater than three times faster NPU. They also showed the Lunar Lake, but yeah, small thing memory put onto it. And Lunar Lake is a Lakefield successor. So I don't know. I mean, meanwhile, Raichu on Twitter is claiming that Lunar Lake is targeting 42 tops for their MPU, which of course would be notably weaker than Strix that will be launching probably half a year before that, but it is about three times faster than Meteor Lake. Um, and another interesting tidbit of all of this is that the Arrow Lake confirmation does not conclude any performance claims for AI, implying that Arrow Lake either has less or likely the same AI heft as Meteor Lake, which is odd to me. And the only other thing I'd highlight here, uh, Carbon Cry did most of this write-up, is they confirmed Battle Mage in Looter Lake, but not Arrow Lake. And again, this is also with not saying the AI is better than Meteor Lake. I don't know. What I saw here was flailing around. Um, what did you say? About, think about these announcements. I mean, I, I think Intel at CES, they, I, I don't even know what they tried to present or why they even tried to have a keynote to a certain extent. Like, this just looks really bad to me. I mean, like, up to or greater than 33 times faster NPU performance. So that includes the range of zero to infinite. Like it, it, it's such a non. It's almost like Lunar Lake's not done, and they don't know yet. It, it's such a non-claim. I like. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I don't even know how you put that graphic on a screen. It, it, it's maybe the most bullshitty-looking way I've ever present seen graphics. I mean, data ever presented. And then Arrow Lake. I see a bunch of non-committal claims about what Arrow Lake is going to be. So. I mean, think about it. They say know. first gaming processor with an AI accelerator. That's a first literal all, lie. First of all, that's a, that's lie. a lie. There's <laughs> been multiple gaming devices with AMD APUs that have NPUs in them. Um, but think about that. They didn't say any specifics about Arrow Lake, despite it supposedly coming before Lunar Lake. Or uh, That's what I've heard. I, I'm now like, what is even going on? But, I mean, that'd be like AMD coming out I, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best analogy here, but like it'd be like if they came out with Zen 4 on desktop and they said first gaming processor with integrated graphics. Yeah, it's I know. like, why aren't you telling us about how good the integrated graphics are? Because that would tell me it's weaker. Well, it was. And so they just came out and said, it's really weak integrated graphics. It's fine. But the fact that Intel won't qualify what it is tells you they don't want to say and they're just trying to hype it up, even though it's not the first. Zen 4 is the first ape is the first gaming CPU with integrated graphics, just as much as Arrow Lake's the first gaming processor with AI. That's not true. Yeah. So uh, how many uh, how many tops again does a uh, Meteor Lake deliver? Ten. Ten. So ten again, probably. I don't know. I have I have no clue. Ten for just anything. the NPU. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't know. And Strix is, is supposed to be at least 45, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got above 50. Um, and I've heard Qualcomm's Snapdragon Elite X from a contact actually may way outperform the MPU they announced. Mm. Or like maybe the, when they said like 45 tops, they may have been like super conservative. We'll see if that ends up being correct, but that's what I've heard. So we have a situation where Intel has seemingly the same or weaker graphics in AI than Meteor Lake late this year with Arrow Lake. And then their follow-up 
Lakefield's successor is still worse than Qualcomm and AMD's. Yeah. I, 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 Intel really needs to stop overcommitting or stop trying to pro- make big promises because people don't believe them anymore. So either Intel needs to make a specific claim or make a vague claim that's trying to be, that's not fra- tr- trying to look specific like what they're doing. Because this, this is the worst of both worlds where it's just like, well, you're not telling me it's going to have better NPU performance. You're just doing, showing some really weird representation of numbers that does literally makes no sense. Yeah. And, you know, I've told you, I have a hunch that the reason they would announce Lunar Lake as Battle Mage is because they, but not mention anything for Arrow Lake, is perhaps they don't think it'll be ready for Arrow Lake. They think Lunar Lake is going to be a paper launch at the end of December this year, but they have to say it has Battle Mage this year because that's how they can claim Battle Mage came out on time. That That's mm. a suspicion I have, everybody watching this. Um, because, I don't know, I know people are acting like other stuff is coming sooner, but like, where is the, like, if Battle Mage were coming to desktop soon, where's literally any info? Like, if it was coming out in quarter two, would they not have announced it at CES? Coming well, this summer. All, all, all I saw, and I didn't send it to you because I, I didn't really think they said much, was they had a, why can't I think, PC World interviewed um, Tom Peterson again yeah, this Intel year. snake oil salesman. Remaining. And, the other one was fired. And they asked him, can you say anything about Battle Mage? And he was like, oh, we've got something in the future or something like that. So, And as usual, there were people hyping that up of like, it's coming very soon. I'm like, dude, the guy looked like he was scared to even... <laughs> say it would ever come out right yeah. like yeah. he couldn't even say did he even say this year in that video um i'm not gonna i don't think so but i i honestly don't remember i i watched all he it, said is i watched it on the going well that's what he said about alchemist yeah i mean i i watched it while working on this to see if any actual interesting claims came out of it and nothing did no, I mean, he said battle mage is a word that I've said before. That would have been about as much substance <laughs> as what he said in that. Anyways, Compressor Earthblocks writes in and says, how is Intel going to overcome the lack of SMT on P cores with Aerolake, as has been rumored, by the way, by this channel and others? I've linked previously about e-cores helping in gaming, especially with 0.1% lows. Well, of course it would, can help with background tasks, and if you program it a lot, it can do other things. But are they leaning more into this philo- philo- philosophy? Or with, I think I still said it weird. Or will it you be did. a big? I just, thank you. Dude. Or will it be a bigger push for APO on newer titles? I think if titles can't, won't lean into GPU decompression like Spider-Man Remastered and extremely heavy CPU usage might push early performance down further than we'd expect with SMT if E cores are not up to the task. Well, that's definitely true. But I'm going to tell you, and we'll get to it in a second with the next question. I'm sorry, the next story. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a suspicion that the APO thing. Uh, that we are looking at here with the initiative that's going on with um, all, all of their products right now um, it not and started with the 14th gen uh, is which is they're just like optimizing the game to not to the metal but they're like actually putting in the effort to like per core schedule things for the game so that the e-cores actually do help a decent amount and in some scenarios you can get like a 20 percent performance boost or something like my guess is that's this that's coming from they're doing that for arrow lake because from what i've heard arrow lake doesn't entirely solve the p and e-core latency penalty in games or running single apps at the same time that are latency sensitive so 
I'm guessing they're just going to super try to manually optimize every game for Arrow Lake. And part of that work spilled into being able to boost performance of some of their current gen stuff a bit. So that that's that's all I think they have to try to do that is the answer here. Because I think some games will use more than 16 threads. Sorry, but I shouldn't even say that. More than eight threads for sure. And Intel needs to make sure their e cores are actually, actually helping consistently with Arrow Lake. Um Carmen oh, I mean, writes in. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, well, they just they're pushing way more into using e cores. So if they can't utilize e cores effectively, I d- I don't see how Arrow Lake isn't dead in the water without hyper threading. <laughs> Carmen Cry writes in. He says <laughs> we know AMD had Zen two test chips with Vcash and others with SMT four to test these ideas before implementing them or not. Even Intel made test chips with four e cores and backside power delivery a big feature for 20 and 18A nodes on Intel 4 to test these products early. Did Intel make test chips with rentable units and or others using Aerolite cores, but including SMT2? It would seem logical to me to hedge one's bets that it's such a risky feature, but now we see RUs are not ready, implying no real tests of RUs were done early, and Aerolake also can't add SMT back in, implying no test chips with the de-risked SMT version could be used as mitigation for RUs not being ready. Is this conclusion that Intel failed to do any risk mitigation correct, or did such efforts happen and then just fail? Intel's scale should allow them to maintain more contingency branches of development, make more test chips. How can it be that AMD seems to better test strategies and architectures physically ahead of time, while Intel seems to keep failing at this? So for everyone who doesn't know, like Arrow Lake is supposed to have big IPC and mixed thread performance lift. What does that mean? Eight big cores, 16 little cores, but no hyper-threading. That means if you're only using one thread for an app, obviously if the IPC uplift is huge, it's going to be a big uplift. But then also if it's an app that uses less than, well, it uses exactly eight or less threads, which is still probably most apps, Airlake may actually perform like really well because I think the base clock and IPC may be a lot higher. And so they may have a real win in apps that use like six threads, but not 10 against AMD. Well, if things turn out well. Um, having said that though, they did want to have hyper threading, but it's been removed as I've leaked. All right. So is his question like, did it, they have it? Yeah, they did. Like there were steppings with it. And I asked before we recorded, there were steppings with hyper threading that had performance issues. I assume it has to do with scheduling. Um, and it's odd, but like, did they ever try to get rentable units working in Arrow Lake? (laughs) The best way I can describe it without knowing everything and having all the documents and spending hours to go through it is from what I am told Arrow Lake is the bridge to the rentable unit design. We're going to see in like Nova Lake. So that somehow, however, they're probably getting some of the IPC increases doesn't quite count as rentable units, but had scheduling issues when hyper threading was enabled. That's my understanding. And if they remove hyper threading, maybe last minute they can reduce the size of the silicon a tiny bit. I don't know. I know uh, you know, I wish I could say more, but that is all I know. That is what I know mm-hmm. is it's the bridge architecture. They ran into issues with hyper threading with it, and then they decided to drop it. And if you talk about risk mitigation, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they don't do enough. I think that's becoming pretty dang clear here, though. Um, Compressor Earthbox writes in, he says, B is, oh wait, B and T is supposed to be for people. So he says, say Zen 5 drops. And it's 20% better on average than Zen 4. Okay. Then Arrow Lake drops 6 to 12 months later, and it's 10% better on average than Zen 5. 
Will that even matter? We've seen Alder Lake drop with a 10% plus performance advantage over Zen 3, and it did not change anything in the long term. Furthermore, if it's only 10% better than Zen 5, which would exclude Vcash in gaming but lacks SMT, once AMD adds Vcash, won't this make it so that probably AMD easily has the gaming performance crown again? Baby. <laughs> Yeah, right, I, like that—that's—that's the math. If Arrow Lake's thirty percent better, but tw- uh, Zen 5's twenty percent better, but Arrow Lake lacks hyper for thirty, and then AMD adds Vcash, it's probably going to be about a wash in performance. Yeah. Oh yeah, and based on AMD's release cadence, that's around what I about what I'm guessing would happen. Just from AMD's side, I have no clue where all their lake will end up shaking out. Arrow Lake. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Bad Dan for mixing up <laughs> a bunch of lakes, including ones that even have the first letter. Uh, QH Freddy, thoughts on Intel's Meteor Lake demo laptops crashing on the CES floor? Yeah, I saw Kit Guru cover that, who's a friend of the show, was recently on. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, QH Freddy. Like, my answer, honest to God, is no, but uh, Intel's software has not been the best lately. So, all right, let us now move on to the final story. APO comes to 12th and 13th gen, while the i9-14900KS is currently missing in action. Quoting from PC Gamer, Application Optimizer, APO, is a piece of software built into Intel's drivers that helps optimize processor performance in supported games. It has the potential to be quite handy, too. Intel cites up to double-digit performance gains with APO enabled and Metro Exodus, for example. Initially only supported on the 14900K-KF and 14700K-KF, there have been calls on Intel to open up APU software, which is built into Intel's dynamic tuning technology driver, to older 12th and 13th gen chips that utilize the same hybrid architecture as the 14th gen. One of the few, if not only, features differentiating 14th gen is this feature, uh, and now it is going to be added for 12th and 13th gen support. Originally, Intel strongly denied that the feature would be brought to these generations, likely in a futile attempt to justify Raptor Lake refresh and make people want to buy it. But having clearly seen the recent f- sales data, is largely failed, and now Intel is reversing course, possibly for the PR, but possibly to get more developers interested in working with Intel and APO by broadening the support and bringing APO to many, many more PCs. Again, I think in preparation for Aerolay, personally. Um, so yeah, this is an exciting development that in this writer's opinion may actually point to Intel accepting that Intel's remaining Alder Lake and Raptor Lake products on sale will be relegated towards budget shoppers this year against Zen 5. Nobody is going to be paying for premium 14th gen. So it makes sense to stop attempting to upsell people from the previous gen and just make sure your oversupplied products will sell. Um, also, I want to add this here. Did anyone else notice that the i9-14900KS, something that HXL on Twitter supposedly showed a picture of while also saying that they're not sure it's going to come out, it wasn't shown at CES. And I know this was a real product that was planned, and I reached out today to a contact at Intel. You know, we have someone on Twitter showing a picture of the 14900KS, but they themselves saying they're not even sure if it will launch, and then they haven't even announced it at CES. If you're Intel, even if it's a paper launch, I think you would want to launch the 14900KS as soon as you can before Zen 5. You don't want to launch this next to Zen 5. So where is it? And well, according to my context at Intel, I'm actually going to put a quote on screen here. Someone says that they personally cannot confirm if the i9-14900KS is canceled or not, but that they can confirm that there is a lot of internal pressure inside Intel right now to not release it. A faction inside Intel is arguing that it could only make them look even worse against upcoming releases. Um, And so I just think that's worth telling you guys that today here. 
4900KS should have been shown at CES. I believe the 3900KS and 4900KS was. And the fact that it wasn't is a huge red flag. And I wouldn't be surprised if it never comes out. Or if it does, just letting you guys know, it almost didn't. All right. Well, I, I mean, I don't even think the 4900KS is a bad thing. Not coming out as a bad thing. I think it might be a sign that Intel is accepting their place in the market and just releasing another 3900K that uses more energy than the 3900K for slightly better performance. It's stupid. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, or hell, it's just Intel can't keep just boosting power more and more to get slightly more performance because they look really stupid doing that. And the 4900KS mm-hmm. would have had, came out to, they would have sold 2,000 of them. And they would have had 30 reviews uh, uh, that say it's a piece of shit. So I don't know why they would release it. <laughs> like It's a good point, right? And is it going to look any better against Zen 5? Like, it'll be like t- 2 to 3% faster than the 4900K. And is that going to look any different if Zen 5 beats it, for example, by like 20%? Is it, will anyone go, ooh, Zen f- 5 wins by 17% instead of 20? Ooh, Intel isn't that far behind. And then they go to the power consumption and they're like, Intel uses five times the power, <laughs> whatever it would be, probably three times the power of AMD. What is the point in getting the bad press? Like, and, and I just combined these two things because I did get this information from someone at Intel last minute, to be fair, is mm-hmm. why I kind of just shoehorned it into one of the stories. <laughs> but the other reason is I just think it is, again, kind of like the, you know, the 7600 XT launching during bad Radeon laptop sales. Feels like this is connected to Intel maybe not choosing to launch an overpriced product that will get bad reviews while also choosing to give better support to their budget products. Maybe Intel's accepting reality here and knows that 2024 is going to be about Intel being a budget brand. And the sooner they embrace that is the sooner they have some stop loss in losing sales because they just need to sell their stuff for less with the best software they can and stop trying to upsell people to something that already loses to AMD anyways. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's nothing negative I can really say about them bringing APO to previous gens. It's something they should have done immediately and not pretended that the, that it couldn't be done because I think everybody immediately saw through that. But, um, the same architecture, you know, now, now they have maybe some good PR for it, but I think a lot of people are going to view this as a cynical move because, oh, it is a cynical move. But, uh, I mean, I hope... Yeah, that would have been a big deal, wouldn't it? If they would have just come out and they're like, we're doing BIOS updates and now Alder Lake's 15% faster in a few games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All I can say is I hope that APO, I don't think you're wrong, but I hope APO isn't just them brute forcing, optimizing several titles when it is actually something they can figure out how to implement on a more automated level because if they just have to brute force it, I can't imagine it's ever going to be a full-fledged feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't have anything well, out. Well, also, on. though, APO is an interesting term for getting our f- term for a feature where the feature is getting our e cores are used pr- correctly, <laughs> getting our c- <laughs> CPUs to actually be used r- correctly. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let us now move on to the final wrap up. This is, of course, the stories that we didn't think needed full stories with 
five to 20 minute long discussions, but they did deserve mentioning. And the first one is a 4090D, which I recently leaked in a loose ends is as far as I can tell, not going to be banned in China. And it kind of seems like the the U S government is like, you get the 4090D and I think it's called the RTX 5880 Mm-hmm. like professional card but if you do one more thing like this they're all getting banned it, that's kind of what i'm hearing right now and it is five percent weaker than the 4090 to be honest it is weaker than the 4090 than i expected i would expect like three percent based on the specs difference i saw so yeah i mean it, the 4090d has the same msrp as the 4090 like five percent less power consumption for five percent less performance you know so there we go it's official um, additionally, the set, what is this here? And I think it was, yeah, some, yeah, some people have noticed that the 7800 M is popping up in databases, suggesting that might come out at some point soon, or at a minimum, AMD seems to have built and tested one. I will say though, as long as the 7800 XT sells well, and they are having trouble selling graphics cards and laptop, I, I've seen so many people go, why aren't they launching Navi 32 to laptop? Because no one's going to buy it, so what's 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 the point? Just sell it to desktop. Um, also, we have more information allegedly leaking about the RTX 3050 six gigabyte. That's right; it doesn't just have a smaller bus and less RAM. It also supposedly has ten percent less cores than the 3050, despite having the same name. Although, interestingly, it may have a seventy watt TDP and not require PCIe connector. And I think it's rumored it says here to be $179 or something. Just call it a 3040, though. I know. <laughs> Just call it a 3040. I know. It's a th- I don't know. It should be called the 3040. I agree. And then you can or, sell it for or, like 150 Or dust off the old SE branding and call it a 3050 SE or something. Yeah, I guess the... Let me think here. The only thing I can say, like what... To be fair, this is a card that you get brownie points for if you hate on. I always like to try to be interesting. And what price would it actually need to be? If we're being honest, this is a 6500 XT competitor, but it has more RAM. And I don't think the 6500 XT... The 6500 XT is 140. I don't know. I guess if it was 150, it would be better than those the four gigabyte cards. Although is and I don't believe there's eight gigabyte models being sold for any reasonable price. Relatively, oh no, there's here's a 6500 XT for six 165 dollars. So yeah, I guess I think it needs to be 150 to make any sense. Um, and I guess though, just for fun, let's see what is the 3050 selling for because I did see that get cheap in some places recently. Because I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess if it was 150, I I guess that's the it's for some reason you can't spend 200 card. I'd recommend. Yeah. Um, although to be honest, if it was the same price as a 6500 XT8 gigabyte, I'd probably just say get that actually because you don't want six gigabytes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> very uninterest- uninteresting card. MSI announced the Meteor Lake Claw handheld. So yeah, this is a gaming handheld that has Meteor Lake built in. Dan, did you have any thoughts on this product? Not really. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't have any high expectations for it. But who knows? Maybe Meteor Lake is a good option for handhelds. Doubt it. You know, um, and these, I think there's already been some benchmarks coming out showing, and I do think people forget this, that... 
Yes, Intel can cherry pick one Phoenix model and say it's less efficient at this level than Meteor Lake, which was built for a very specific power consumption band. But the Z1 is actually the best yields that are tuned for power consumption. And AMD's Z1 Extremes and benchmarks I saw recently blew Meteor Lake out of the water in efficiency. So I don't know. I think the Meteor Lake handhelds are going to have worse efficiency than the Z1 Extreme. and. I thought half of the point of a handheld was to play older games. Meteor Lake's drivers have issues with older games. Yeah. Who the fuck is this for? You want to spend extra. You want to spend more than a Steam Deck for about Steam Deck performance for lower battery life and you can't boot any of the half of the old games you play? I don't know. Um, I, I've heard some people like ask that, why would they even launch this? And it's like, it's so they can say they have a handheld. That's why. It'll get press, and they can say Meteor Lake's getting adopted in handhelds too. That is the reason. Yeah. Uh, not a great reason to me, but whatever. <laughs> Agreed. Um, all right, Mike. Let's see, you added this one here. Microsoft thinks they really hit a home run with AI PC by adding the co-pilot so button. They're, adding, they're modifying keyboards in the future and adding a co-pilot button to it. And I just think this is a kind of funny story because it's like, my, what's what's with this branding no, no one cares about it it's kind of stupid and what's now stupid? they're I, I just think adding like the they're adding a co-pilot button that essentially opens their ai thing and bing to uh the keyboard now so mm-hmm. people are gonna well to be fair dan i think this is just in preparation for doing more with windows 12 yeah so um, but until I see a bunch of people tell me this is a killer feature you need to have, and they've been using it for a year, I don't really have that much to say. Um, AFMF preview drivers at 7,000 M support. Yes, yeah, so there are two things here, really. I mean, AMD's fluid motion frames technology. Um, I, I think they announced it's officially out of beta now, and then they also announced that it's coming to Phoenix, which is actually kind of a big deal no, i think that's a really big deal yeah. because yeah i mean that's that means right when hawk points launching it's going to get this when 8700 g's are launching it'll get it and a lot of these gaming handhelds are about to be able to use interpolated frames which is a thing like all yeah. right now we're starting to talk like so you'll have an asus or rog ally that has a 120 hertz display to my memory and now it's running at 60 hertz interpolated to 120 that's that's actually a, a real th- reason to use it. I, I don't think it makes any sense on desktop, but in something that weak, I, I can see the, the idea. Um, let's see. You added this one here, Dan. Windows on ARM Qualcomm exclusivity likely coming at an end of 2024, according to the ARM CEO. What is this? So in an uh, Rene ha- ha- Haas, Haas uh, gave an interview recently, and he said that he, will, he thinks... Uh, exclusivity with windows on arm for qualcomm is coming to an end at the end of this mm. year so i didn't even realize so only they could make windows arm products there's weird speculation on this that he, it was bizarre to me i tried to do a little background research on this i guess there's it's an open question maybe if arm exclusivity is uh if qualcomm has exclusivity to arm because they helped microsoft implement their own arm development uh i mean develop their own arm cpus um but now uh 
uh, Renee Haas speculates that that's going to open up. So you could see more en- potentially see more entrance into the market in the future, like Nvidia in a couple of years or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize, I didn't realize that, they that, had that. And you know what that, and, and he, and he said end of 2024. So there's an argument here that the Snapdragon Elite X is a final push to try to get Windows laptop sales the last year they have some agreement with Microsoft. Yeah, although I... I, I that is why they're doing it. I would guess that, yeah, Qualcomm, though, I'm assuming does have, it is ahead of every other developer, but who knows, maybe other people have been put, trying to develop this in the background so they can come out as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Although it doesn't seem like there's that much of a drive in the market to have ARM CPUs on windows like i don't think many people really care about that but if the snapdragon x is a hit then people will (laughs) or snapdragon elite x um all right sharp shows off 12.8 inch display using new qdl technology claiming it's scalable and current lcd manufacturing facilities can easily be retooled to it this was another one you added please tell me more (laughs) uh it's a new quantum dot technology that people have been wanting to see for forever uh it potentially could unseat OLED from my understanding is for like best contrast, best uh, color. And Sharp, I think, is basically trying to shop to the companies. Hey, we have this technology. Want to scale this up to full production? Because they claim that they can scale it past this pretty easily. This was just a prototype. And they also apparently had that they weren't showing off as publicly. They also had a 30 inch display, though, I think. The biggest thing for me is seeing that you can retool LCD. Um, yeah. I think like uh, LG's, right? Is it L- no, no, no. Uh, yeah. L- LG is ahead a enough here in OLED that they just seem to be the OLED person. They have mm-hmm. the best margins on it. They're the most ahead. They're dominating with it. And it just feels kind of like Samsung and a lot of other people are just forced to not be able to directly compete in performance because they don't have the production capa- facilities at all. I think this could be a big game changer because this would actually allow far more people to compete one of the newest technologies. Yeah, it, it, once again, that's all Sharp's claims. If it's true that it's easy to get, if it's easy to retool LCD factories, that's huge. Uh, I will say this though: anyone who writes in here and says, "Well, then I'm waiting for QDEL," I wouldn't. LG showed off OLED in like 2000, freaking 12 or something, or uh, Sony. Like that, they, they, it took them like almost a decade for OLED to be actually a reasonable price, not have tons of burn-in issues, be in tons of products. So I think what you would see in this is, but give it five years, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't wait because of this. They, we, you're not going to see anything for at least five years, probably. <laughs> All righty. Now let us move on to the final reader mails. Beefish writes in and he says, do you think AMD mandating Oculink with Strix and later APUs might be a good way to eat into the enthusiast space without having to have an enthusiast mobile GPU? Note that the GPD, an established portable manufacturer, they use the mini laptop form factor for their handheld APU devices, recently made an eGPU that has a built-in 7600M that connects over PCIe 4.0 times 4 Oculink on their new mini laptops, an Asus solution. Well, Asus is actually using Oculink, but they use a proprietary connector for it so that they could steal a standard and make people buy their enclosures with Asus <laughs> devices. Um, I think this is an interesting argument here. If AMD were to like, I don't think mandates necessarily a good idea, but if AMD were to start going, hey, 
we want you to add Oculink, which can probably be used for a bunch of other things, with our Strix laptop so that you can argue that. Anyone can plug in. And, uh, and by the way, you, this is such an open standard. I think you've seen it, Dan. Like, it's just a times four PCIe, basically, port. Yeah. You can buy a cable for pretty damn cheap and just get any power supply, and that's your enclosure. That's, uh, that'd be an interesting argument. I, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, I think AMD working closely with OEMs and getting things they want put into their laptops is always a smart idea. But I do think Oculink is always going to be one of the more niche things. And I think the DIY community, it's naturally interesting to the DIY community. But I, I don't think, at least anytime soon, you're going to have this thing where everybody has a laptop and then an uh, eGPU enclosure that they plug their laptop into every night uh, to get make it to have like a 4090 or 7900 xdx or whatever yeah i think the best argument just is is that it's kind of an alternative to thunderbolt um Mm -hmm. and yeah but then people would just because if because what you're basically saying do i really want to put this here instead of some other port on the laptop and a lot of oems are going to say no but we look at all I, i was thinking is we look at radeon sales collapsing in laptop and then we see that you know people still want to buy AMD CPUs and laptops. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be an interesting option if they could just advertise, hey, just buy Strix, and then they get it, and then they learn later, oh, I can add an enclosure, and then maybe they'd buy a Radeon GPU. I don't know. Um, because I think a lot of AMD strategies and laptop moving forward are going to be trying to work around the fact that they can't get people to buy AMD laptops with Radeon <laughs> graphics cards. Um, Compressor Earthbox writes him, and he says, T-Bird, do you know how Sony Studios view FSR? It seems like they have their own ways to upscale on console, and that'll be a focus for the PS5 Pro with its bespoke NPU, uh, or alleged bespoke APU, I should say. On PC, we get games that support FSR from them. They definitely favor NVIDIA's tools and features. Is FSR not good enough for Sony Studios? Is that why Sony is using a unique NPU for their own version of upscaling? Or is this an area where NVIDIA just happens to jump in and has the pull to get their features better supported? So this actually, to my memory, was a question meant for the Brian Heemskirk episode. And we just didn't, it was already like a three hour episode. Mm. It didn't really flow right to get to this there, but I did ask him and a couple devs on the side about this. And what I was told was a few things. Um, the sense that I get talking to developers specifically to FSR is that they are happy. It exists. They want to support it because it works on everything, including last gen graphics cards. And they feel it's close enough to DLSS to be a priority. A lot of the time, like if NVIDIA is not going to help them, They think it's close enough, and they think because it works on Pascal, 1600 series, Intel graphics, it is the thing that they're happy is there that they want to add first. Having said that, if NVIDIA does help at all, they want to have it because of how many people have NVIDIA graphics cards. And also, I was directly told, actually, that NVIDIA often directly pays to add DLSS Mm. to the point that they'll help you like have the equivalent of like 20 people programming parts of the game. Like, which, depending on the size of the developer... That's pretty big. I mean, that's a huge asset, frankly, for even big studios. But, like, the reason you see DLSS so well-supported is, yeah, NVIDIA's paying for it. Yeah. Big time (laughs) to make it happen. And that's how they're doing it. Now, as for the NPU and the PlayStation 5 Pro, 
Um, the sense that I get and what was kind of suggested to me is that in the short term, they don't see AMD NPUs or possibly even Intel ones really being used a lot for upscaling out, you know, like the separate ones from the graphics card. And so Sony figured, well, to get widespread support, we're going to have to figure it out for them anyways, short term. And if we're going to have to figure it out for them anyways, we might as well have a custom version of one of AMD's AI engines because we're going to do it anyway. So like, why would we just throw the Phoenix one in there? We can make it better for our purposes and we're going to program it anyway. So we, we might as well just make it special. Mm-hmm. I think. And, and that's the thing we can argue. I mean, market custom AI, you know, um, all right. NVIDIA CEO God King Jensen Wang writes in yet again and says, with the anti-NVIDIA shills, Digital Foundry looking at, I think that's sarcasm, looking at AAA gaming on the newest pro iPhone and it being comparable to the PS4, right? so I, new iPhone comparable to PS4 graphics, how long before people start claiming that consoles are dead again? After all, matching prior gen consoles a few years after the current gen one's launch clearly is a killer move. Yeah, I mean, that's basically my answer. Is Although I will say, I think people are kind of over-claiming consoles are dead. Like, they've realized that's definitely not true. And if anything, with, like, Moore's Law dying and you requiring the power consumption lever to be pulled more and more often, I, I think, I mean, what, I, I looked it up. From what I saw, phones hit PS3 performance, like, just after the PS4 launched, and now mm-hmm. we're in the PS5's fourth year and they're matching the PS4, I think that tells you that they're slowing down and catching up to console performance, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, this is always going to be a stupid perennial article that gets published where it's like, are phones going to kill consoles finally or whatever? And the answer is no, because, well, you can always do more with silicon in a bigger thing than in a phone. So. Yeah, I mean, I could see a future where some people, well, I shouldn't say I can see a future. It's already here where some people do just play on a phone primarily. But, and I could even see a future where they have more dedicated docs. But, like, no, I think a lot of people or most people are probably always going to want to have dedicated hardware for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Final reader mail. Techno writes in and says, putting this in here because I don't know if it makes sense in any other channel. I don't know what channel it was put in, I don't remember. But what does the Vitality powder taste like for Vite? You say it tastes good, but everyone does have different tastes. So maybe a bit more information on the flavor profile would be good. Which ones do you recommend the most? So by the Vitality, yeah, I assume you mean like the powder you add to a water. It like is supposed to have a bunch of like things for boosting your energy without adding sugar and stuff. And I'm actually was drinking it while we were recording this episode. Uh, yeah, it does taste good. Like, I don't know. They're usually citrusly or strawberry watermelon flavors. And I think it tastes really good. Gives me a boost of energy without... I mean, I used to drink coffee at night. I just can't do that anymore. That's I, probably I not a good until 5 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I try to do this now while recording the show. And I'm actually using it. I actually, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, Techno. I'll put it this way. I'm actually going to push them to let me talk about that more in upcoming Vite ads because I think this is something that probably is being missed that is maybe their best product all of a sudden. So, hmm. yes, I actually like it. Tell you more about the taste. Look at the flavor names. It's going to be like a citrusy strawberry or it's going to be how it's described. You know, good. <laughs> I do actually like it. And I was thinking of this before I we started recording when I had this question added. I was like, 
I didn't have to answer your question, Techno. So I'm not saying this because they're sponsoring us. Uh, this is my own volition for sure to just mention it at the end of the show <laughs> because you asked, and this was going to be slightly on the shorter side, so I thought we'd get to it. So now, that does not mean I want you all to go go to the reader mail channels and automatically start asking sponsor by sponsor things necessarily <laughs> because, frankly, actually, I just wanted time to answer that. But I did hear. I actually do like it. Um. All right, well, that's it for this episode, Dan. I don't know if you had any final thoughts or things to discuss from this week. Uh, no, I don't think so. I I learned about a really stupid product that I almost just dropped on you called WeHead, but I'm just going to say go look it up yourself. It's really stupid looking. WeHead? Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and everybody go. else look it up. It's very, very dumb. But... You know, before and after you do that, you should actually first go look up that you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws Dead <laughs> YouTube channel and ring the bell button so you don't miss all this upcoming content. Uh, we've gained a lot of subscribers, actually, in the first two weeks. We're over 170,000 now. Keep subscribing, telling your friends about us, and then also do make sure that you subscribe to the Moore's Laws Dead Patreon if you have even just $2 a month. You can ask us questions there. You get Die Shrink episodes. We just put one out analyzing the insomniac hack that kind of flew under the radar because it happened during christmas at least it did for us i think yeah. um so there's a whole like what i think like 45 or one hour i think like one hour video out there with no ads we're doing die shrinks all the time there's hundreds of episodes you have a huge catalog of stuff oh, most of the die shrinks are on average more evergreen too i think than the stuff we discuss in other content like you can yeah. go back and go here's problems tom's had leaking before here's an episode you know about what we think about the our hd 7000 series or nvidia fermi you know stuff that doesn't quite make it to be a video but ages well and sits there for years hundreds of those videos please support us on patreon we can't do this without our patrons but otherwise I think that's going to just about do it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Yep. And I hope you have a good week. I guess. Bye. Bye. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly 
possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Zijitz, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Rano, Daniel High, GZ Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Deke, e Nicholas Buckner, SNES Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Jensen Wang, Artforum.com, Gregory Asacker, Andrew S, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Chris Rich, Compressed Earthwalk, 3DS Boy 08, Albuma, Greg Wanchuk, Shredberg, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Holden Mobley, Blake, Franco Frederick, Sammy Malas, Jake223, Jake Martin, Jordan Simkovic, Zicky, Julian Leak, The Boss Haas, Stefan Hart, Meet and Pork, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Stefan, Toka, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Crowe, Enable Chief, Chrysantine, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, I Should, Mark Rainmaker, The Eternal Dreamers, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Jensen N, Neith Razink, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Hexa Puma, Reginald Ari, Tika Autumn, Gaiman Zinsregan, Jeff Settler, Loophole35, JSMMH, Windstar, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Jimmy Witters, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glennon, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Joe Foot, Hardlands, Earth Taurus, Slushbot, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Hemsa Gung, Tails2299, Me, Val Verga, John, Sisyphos, Dale Russell, The Forbidden Juice, Pearl Eatman, Win Wang, RB Racer, AC, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Mad, Alex Vega, Freedy, Brian Wright, John Swin, Angel of Cake, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbergun, Solarized 80, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, Penta Winta, Rowan, McKicky, Cornster671, Sprutnik, Jeffrey, Jenneman, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>